actually no sound check or anything? That was it. We just did it. Oh, we did? Yeah. Oh, when you do like a more formal. Thanks for paying attention. We have to like go through. Well, normally you're well, like when sound it's just, check. When it's just me by myself. Oh, <laughs> sure. We're actually going. We're, we're going right now, yeah. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. How's it going, man? I'm living the dream. You want to introduce yourself or should I introduse yourself? You can introduce me. Okay. I'd like to see Is how he it talking goes. loud enough? He's got a sexy time voice on. He does. He, yeah. he was all screaming before, and I, I was like, hey. Now he's going to his. Welcome to the party. His 1 900 voice. Late night drive through. Yeah. Hey, so. Make money somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and here we go. All right. So this is my good friend, right? Everybody, uh, this is Jason Huggins mm-hmm. from Zoe Farms, right? Yeah. Um, how long have we known each other? About eight or nine years now. <sighs> it's longer than that. Okay. Longer than that. <laughs> Well, it's longer than well, that. I don't know I don't why know. he asked questions. He know. already knows. The Here's answer. why: because I have been married for 12 years. It'll be 13 years this summer. Okay. And then, how long have you been married? Eleven. We'll go. It'll be 11 this summer. Right. And we met right after you got married. Yeah. So maybe 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. That's a long time to know somebody. It is. Yeah. 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 And still talk. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. What? Right? We'll talk about something. I'm looking at you because how long have we known each other? Too long. Five? Yeah. Seven? It's about that time. <laughs> to cut it off? Yeah. Well, luckily for yeah. you, soon enough. Are we even? I hope so. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. We'll take um, this podcast on the road. So we're, Jason's going to talk about his farm. So he just yeah. started a farm. I'm just going to do a quick thing. Mm-hmm. right? So he just started a farm. Mm-hmm. You're probably one of the hardest working people I know because you do a lot of things. So we're going to talk about why you're crazy and you've decided at this point in time to start a farm amongst your other job, which you're a police officer, which mm-hmm. we'll gently talk about, and about to have your fifth child, right? which actually may be an asset to you. Hopefully. Having a farm, um, yeah. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> but I think what you're doing is really cool. The type of farm you're doing is really cool. Um, me coming from a food background, I'm super into it. Yeah. Right? Um, so again, tell us the name of your farm. So it's Zoe. Okay. Looks like Zoe, but it's actually Zoe Farms. And what does Zoe mean? It means So Zoe is an ancient Greek word for uh, fulfilled life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of the things that I'm pretty passionate about is people of anybody being able to have a fulfilled life, full, full of vigor, um, you know, going out and conquering the world, doing the things that you want to do, and regardless of what your abilities are. And so when we looked at the name for our farm, for us producing a nutrient-dense food that will help people live a full and vibrant life, um, and then some of the, the practices we use, Zoe just uh, seemed to be the right name. Nice, yeah. Um, and also just a little bit more background. I mean, Jason and I have spent years sort of volunteering together with uh, you know children with special needs and things like that. So I think just hearing the name, the definition, that all makes sense. Yeah. Um, so answer just this one question. I know you have your, your cute little talking points in front That's of you right. here, buddy. Um, why? Like, why start a farm? Why, why now? I mean, I know there's a lot of reasons. You can get into yeah. whichever you want to. But, like, why choose? It's not – starting a farm is not a career choice you hear a lot of people doing anymore. Oh, no, not at all. Well, Certainly not when you're a about lot of barriers. 50. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of barriers yeah. to get into it. Yeah. Uh, so I am coming to the end of – or nearing the end of my law enforcement career. I've been a police officer in the state of Maryland for almost 23 years now. And uh, I'm getting towards the end of that and still fairly young. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at uh, cool. what the next steps are going to be. Uh, not an office kind of person. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, obviously, like you said, I've got a fifth kid on the way. So it's not like I can just, you know, go on vacation, hit the beach and uh, do nothing for the rest of my life. Uh, but farming's really, uh, agriculture, growing our own food has been something that I've been interested in for years. Um, so when we moved to the property we're on now, which, uh, has been, it's 2013, um, it was, you know, kind of a plan we started. We raised our own pork for a while. Um, which was then, delicious by the way. Was it really? Yeah. I bet. And, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, when we adopted Nolan, who is our well, we'll be our middle child mm-hmm. uh, back in 2019, no, 2016. Was so it that long ago? Well, he's What are we, we're 21 now, he's right? four, getting ready to go on five. Jeez, yeah. wow. Hey, yeah, yeah, 2016. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when you have five kids, yeah. just, you don't worry about <laughs> data births. It's like, yeah. whatever. You you know, keep it's, sp- it's the one between the big one and the little and one. you keep like, a spreadsheet. I probably should. Yeah. 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 Uh, but we got out of the farming business. Um, 
or out of the farming in general when we adopted him. So Nolan has Down syndrome, right. uh, as you know, and uh, we just had to concentrate on him at that point in time. So we got out of the business. He's now a little bit older. Um, things seem to be settled. And one of the big reasons that we chose farming is besides the love of it and wanting to produce our own food and be more healthy is we also uh, want to have, we want to be able to give that opportunity, the farming opportunity to um, people with differing abilities. So one of our goals down the road is to be able to have employees on the farm uh, that have differing abilities, whether that be Down syndrome, autism, um, physical disabilities, anything like that. Like, you know, it's, it's really easy as we've seen for people to go out, you know, if you're an able-bodied person, you can go out and get your job and life's good. Um, as you and I have w done different things in the past and you know, are working with helping up mission and stuff. Like mm -hmm. When people get a, whether it's a criminal background or a disability or anything like that, it becomes really difficult for them. Um, and we want to kind of break through that. Uh, you know, my, I guess the best way to put it is I'm thinking about having marginalized communities make awesome nutrient dense food for all the people that have marginalized. Them. Right. Kind of like a, Hey, here's your punch in the face. Nice. Kind of yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an opportunity for, you know, um, people from all walks and all backgrounds, right? And it doesn't yeah. really matter why it's hard for you to find employment. It's just that the fact that it's hard. Yeah. So here's an opportunity to do something, you know, it's fulfillment. Um, you know, it's honest work. I mean, it's hard, right? Yeah. I yeah. came out to help you. Me and me and a few friends came out to help you. Yeah. We, we that's, what you for, that's what you want to call it. Yeah. Well, I was going to get to that. You I, we were there for... Out and you made them... I think we were there something. for five hours. We got three quarters of something done... And I think we left him with more work yeah. than we got there. Was it three quarters of a bottle of bourbon? Is that what you got done? No, no. Actually, we we, we only had we only good. drank one beer. Okay. And we made him make us lunch. I think he had well, to sacrifice one of his chickens on the farm yeah, to make did. us lunch, and we did not complete what he asked us to do. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, that sounds about right. Uh huh. I definitely. I think the the mission, everything you just like, I'm just hearing about this for the first time. I it really and knowing you for a little bit sort of really fits true to the your character, I think, which is awesome. And again, just being a police officer in general says something about you and then doing this for for communities who have been historically disenfranchised, I think is really cool. Um, starting a farm, there has to be some sort of regulation and permitting process. Like, can you go into what, how hard is it to actually start this? You know, it seems like it's, there's a barrier to entry that's that's pretty steep. Well, besides the, and you guys know this better than I do, in the real estate world, the price of land is mm -hmm. extremely expensive. We we are blessed to have a small piece of property which will um, which we already have that will allow us to to start working on this. Um, but yeah, we deal with the USDA, um, the FISA, the Food Safety, uh, it's Food Safety Group for the federal government. Um, one of the other big barriers that we run into is processing. Mm. Um, so processing pork, processing beef. Um, we have a, a really good relationship with uh, Gavinel Meats up in uh, Conowingo that does our processing of our pork. But for poultry, being in Purdue's backyard, it's yeah. very difficult to find uh, a poultry processor. In fact, there are none in the state of Maryland uh, that I can take, you know, 100 chickens to every month and they'll process them for me. Hmm. Um, if I wanted to work for Purdue, I could, on my little piece of property, I could build a uh, confined or a concentrated agricultural or animal feeding operation or a CAFO. So I build a big barn. I put 25,000 chickens in it. They, uh, I spend the million dollars, get the, get the loan, build, the, uh, build that, go into contract with Purdue or Montier out in the Eastern Shore, and uh, they'll provide me the birds. They'll provide me the feed, and every... 10 weeks, I get a new 25,000 chicks in there and I throw them through and, um, feed them out. Uh, obviously a million dollars is a, is a pretty hefty, uh, loan payment to get. And yeah. it's just not in the, uh, it's not the model we want to be in. Sure. I'll never put down any farmer out there. You know, if, if you're feeding the world, you're feeding the world. Mm -hmm. There's just different ways of doing it. I mean, I'm sure it's the same in every business. Um, but we do have uh, quite a few regulations. We have to be inspected by the state for our eggs. Um, and it's a voluntary program, but then we do all our own processing. So our chicken is processed under an exemption. Uh, so we have the ability to process up to 20,000 birds on our property that we grow. 
um, a year and sell in retail um, without a USDA inspection, uh, but they have to be sold in state. So I can't okay. sell to Pennsylvania. I can't take them to mm-hmm. a restaurant in DC, um, move to Virginia, anything like after that, it has to be USD inspected. So we have to apply for a USDA inspection, which means that we would have, we'd build a processing plant, um, whatever that may be. And then we would have to have a USDA inspector on the property. They do an anti-mortem check of the birds. Everything's good. Then they watch us as we go through the process, make sure we do all our, everything sanitary. So we start getting into much, much more of the uh, bureaucracy behind yeah. it. Obviously, we're just starting out. We're not there yet. Um, but it is things that we need to take into consideration for the future. It's also one of the barriers for entry into whether it be pastured poultry or uh, pastured pork for anybody is trying to find that processor. So it's, there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's constantly learning. Yeah. It's a web. So take us through, and I, I know... I know part of the process for you is trying to figure all these different pieces out, especially in this very certain way you want to do it. So talk to us a little bit in depth about, you've used the term with me and we've talked in private about the regener- regenerative right. farming. Right. Talk to us about that. Like tell people kind of what that so means. So regenerative farming is essentially we are regenerating the soil. So a lot of the current farming is input. We plow, we get all the the microorganisms that are in the soil, we plow them over, they die. We put synthetic fertilizer. Uh, well, actually first they, we put synthetic, um, herbicides down to kill everything. Then we plant new seeds and it's all genetically modified so that, um, we can plant a seed and then spray roundup over top of it. And the roundup resistant seed will continue to grow, but all the vegetation won't. Um, and through that we've just degraded the soil. Um, to the point where we get soil compaction, we don't have the water infiltration, um, and you can see that. I mean, you could go down past any farm, or after it rains, we go out on the bay on right, a boat, yeah. and you see, you see the soil, the sure. dirt at yeah. that point, the dirt just running into the bay. And the reason for that is, and again, not bashing any type of farming that's out there, is that we have um, just degraded the soil so much because of the way we farm. Uh, Maryland is a no-till a majority of Maryland, if not all of it, is no-till now, but we're still using tons of synthetic inputs in. So in regenerative farming, we don't use any of that. We're going back to the way that the the earth was, you know, when the buffalo roamed. And so we're taking large amounts of animal pressure in a small space for a short period of time, moving them. So if you think about the buffalo, if you ever watch an old Western movie, you know, you got these thousands of buffalo they run, they eat, they crap, they trample everything down, and then they move to the next section. And they may not come back to that section that they were just on for a year. Right. And so all that input goes back into the soil uh, by trampling, by the trampling and just the weight of the animal. You're breaking down the fibers and the grasses. They die, fertilizes soil. It's all natural. We're not putting any inputs uh, back into the soil. So through regenerative, we're taking the animals that we raise um, we're moving them daily. So our chickens, um, just because of the predators that we have, we have a lot of foxes, mm-hmm. coyotes, <laughs> hawks. Uh, we put them in, uh, in what we call a chicken tractor. So it's a 10 by 12 by two foot tall, or some of them are hooped, um, pen. It's a floorless pen. We'll pack 80 birds in it so that they're nice and confined. They have their water. They have their supplemental non-GMO, non-soy feed. And then they move to a fresh piece of ground every day. So unlike a a CAFO system where they get that one square foot per bird per the size of the the building, maybe never seeing the the light of day, ours are moved to fresh ground every day as opposed to daily. daily. Interesting. Okay. And depending on the growing season, if we were to hit a drought, we maybe will move them twice a day. It all depends on how much pressure they're putting on the ground. And then we like to have at least 45 days before they touch that ground again. Interesting. Um, The 45 days, it gives us an opportunity for any of the organisms that, you know, whether it be uh, worms, uh, as in worms that would be detrimental to the chickens, um, any of the parasites, stuff like that they will die off because they won't have a host right. in that 45 days. Okay. So it allows us not to have to give antibiotics, not to have to give dewormers and stuff like that because we're moving them off of that parasite load. Um, so the most time that our birds spend 
um, can find in one area would be the brooder, which is the start of their life. So we pick up our birds, we get them from Pennsylvania, we go, we pick them up. Uh, they come to us the day after they're born. They need to be kept at about 95, 96 degrees um, for the first week, and then we start weaning them off of it. So they will stay in the brooder. We use a deep bedding system. So we don't actually, it's not a, it's not a concrete floor. We put down about six inches of usually pine shavings. The chicks go on it, and then every day we add pine shavings to on top of the, the feces and everything that's in there right. to cover it up, um, which also begins to start an anaerobic process where we break that down just like composting it does a couple things for us in this time of time of year it starts to provide a little bit of heat as it composts mm. the the manure and the urine um, and we just continue to build that up and then once they're out which is generally about three weeks this time of year it's because of the weather it'll be a little bit longer um, for our laying hens uh, then we will pull all that out and we start all fresh um, so wow. We, uh, they start in the brooder they go from the brooder to the chicken tractor, then they get moved daily. Um, we raise two types of bird. We raise a Cornish cross, which is what everybody sees in the grocery store. You know, the double breasted, uh, larger, you know, four or five pound, maybe even five, six pound bird. These are conventional birds that were built, built may be the bad word, but <laughs> were, were bred right. for confinement farming gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and the, the problems that we that is seen in the confinement uh, sector is because these birds are designed to grow super fast a lot of times they will outgrow their bone growth right so their legs will break because they become too heavy because their bones haven't you're talking about a bird that goes from hatching in the egg to the slaughterhouse in seven to eight it's so fast Jeez. um so we take those um so we do raise those. Ours, we generally raise, it's usually about nine weeks um, because they're on pasture. We find that raising them slightly slower, they still have access to the food. Uh, so chickens are, they're, they're not a grain-only animal. They're omnivores. So right. they like eating bugs and insects and everything else that's out there. So um, by allowing them to do that in a pastured setting, they're acting more like they're supposed to as opposed to solely being fed corn cheap corn or cheap soy in order to build them up um, it's why studies show that pasture raised poultry is so much more nutrient dense right um, and it's, it's just a better bird but with that comes cost because i'm now going from eight weeks and a single building to daily moves 10 weeks two extra weeks of food um, extra labor and then we also raise um, a, what's called a freedom ranger which is a it's a slower growing bird, uh, single breasted, um, little darker meat. The, the fat on our birds tends to be more yellow as opposed to white, just because of everything they're eating. Um, but we're growing them at 11 weeks. So again, we're taking, is that a heritage breed? It's, it's not a heritage breed. It's been bred more for the, um, pastured poultry, uh, producers, but um, it's, it's more along a line of a heritage gotcha. breed. Uh, and so, because again, we're, we're now talking 11 weeks. Right. So I'm almost, you know, for every three, for every two batches of freedom reds, I can, you know, freedom rangers, I can raise, which is a red bird. I could raise three groups in a confinement. And we're talking about, you know, you know, even in the, even in the most advanced pasture poultry, where we're using a 16 by 40 uh, chicken tractor and we're running 500 birds at a time, I'm still not running, you know, I'm still not at a 25,000 or, you know, in a, in a right. six acre piece of property, I can put four confinement houses. Right. So when we get into that economy of scale, it's why, you know, it costs five ninety nine a pound for my bird. Right. And you can go down to Costco and get one for a dollar ninety nine. Well, and also too, like I, so I remember like back in my, food days i remember reading like michael Pollan's book mm -hmm. who i think like yeah you know, i don't know if we want to call him like the godfather of this like he certainly i mean like this is like he, he brought said, it to light yeah yeah i mean this is this is a style of farm that's been around forever but he certainly brought it to the mainstream but i remember a quote from i think it was maybe the omnivore's dilemma his book and 
He said, this style of farming, you're really not raising animals. You're really growing grass. Mm-hmm. He goes, there's so much more effort and attention and cost that goes into the field itself than the animal. Because the animal is going to do what the animal is going to do, right? They're, they're just going to behave in their natural way. Right. But the farmer's job is to make sure that the field is ready for them Absolutely. in the most natural way possible. Which takes a lot of time and effort and, and just costs more because yeah. your labor is really expensive, you know? Well, we, I mean, we're looking at, you know, we grow native grasses. Right. It's not, I don't go to, you know, Home Depot and buy a 50 pound bag of Kentucky bluegrass and throw it down and go, hey, hey, I got green grass. Um, We're not trying to grow a lawn. Right. So we, we deal with a lot of clover, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of uh, like uh, sedan grass, um, hairy vetch, uh, other types of natural grasses from Maryland, just because of where we are. We go to you know, Pennsylvania, I might have some different grasses. If I go to the Midwest, I'm going to have even different grasses. Sure. So it's really knowing exactly what grows well in your soil um, and being able to get all that uh, input in a non-synthetic way into your soil to grow out your soil. Um, you know, we'll put radishes and turnips in in order to add nitrogen back into the soil. Nice. And then on top of it, the, the flip side of it is we have to make sure that there, there becomes a balance where you can have too much nitrogen going into the soil. So when we get too much nitrogen going into the soil, meaning we've run the animals over that piece of ground too much in right. a year, well, now the, that nitrogen has to go somewhere. So the it's nitrogen gonna, is coming from waste? It, it's coming from the okay. waste of the animal, or depending on what seed version we happen to plant, if we planted gotcha. a high-nitrogen-producing uh, seed, then you know we have to balance all that to make sure that you know the object is to to have a balance and keep it all in the soil as opposed to running off gotcha um the science yeah. behind this is it's amazing really interesting. Yeah, yeah like you never i don't know anything about this hence why i'm being quiet most right. of the time which is good for everybody but hearing how much energy goes into this it really does justify the additional cost you are yeah. getting a more nutritious product more sustainable farm it's better for the human consuming it it's better for the animal it's better for the earth like that's that's just something that i think most people don't consider when they go to safeway and it's the dollar 99 not to yell at purdue but like that's the only mass one i can think of it's it doesn't seem as sustainable as what you're doing well the whole yeah i mean it is it is the sustainability the other thing is is when when you look at a local pasture-based product the price tag is the price tag. Mm-hmm. So I sell you a, a chicken for five ninety nine a pound. That's that's all the input. It's everything. When you go to Costco or Safeway or anywhere, any grocery store, and you buy a chicken and you see the dollar ninety nine, what you're not seeing is the two ninety nine of taxpayer subsidies mm-hmm. that went into the corn, which allowed the that's prices to be lower. You're not seeing the tens to twenty thousands dollars after that in healthcare issues because now we've taken a non-nutrient filled product. We've sold it as a food. People eat it because they're like, Oh, Hey, I went and got my, I'm eating chicken. I'm eating healthy healthy chicken. Everybody says it's healthy. I'm eating this white chicken breast that, you know, I paid a dollar nine, but there's no nutrients in it. It's deficient in vitamin D it's deficient in vitamin A. Um, you know, it has much higher saturated fat. So when, when you look at the costs on the back end, I'd venture to say that most of your pasture-based poultry products or any of your pasture-based pasture-based products are cheaper in the long run. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's just we put it on our price tag and people go, whoa, whoa wait yeah. a minute, I can go do this. Well, I don't, take, I don't take a subsidy. I go, I drive to Clear Spring to pick up my feed from a seventh generation farmer who does non-GMO, non-soy organic feed, um, in his field. So I get that feed and, and it's the place where I get it. I could go down to tractor supply, you know, and it's instead of spending $18 a bag on feed, I could buy a bag of feed for $6 right. and I could sell you a dollar 99 chicken, but it wouldn't have the nutrients in it. And then one of the big things we want to get past and we've seen with COVID, um, and you and I've talked about this, like you hear the, the stories, you know, more marginalized groups or, you know, the black and brown communities, they're, they're more uh, affected by COVID. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are, because as we've seen throughout history, there's a lot of other social issues that go into those neighborhoods where, you know, take Baltimore. One in four people in Baltimore lives in a food desert. Food desert by the USDA is you have to go more than a quarter mile to get to an actual grocery store. Mm-hmm. 
Think about, you guys work in Baltimore. We've all driven through Baltimore. Think about the communities that don't have access to a grocery store. They're getting their food from the corner store, from the mom and pop store. Again, nothing against those any of those stores that are providing that food. I mean, that's where they get their food. But if you go in there and your option is, um, you know, a bag of Doritos for 99 cents or, you know, a bag of carrots for $5, like, I mean, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we all have to budget our ourselves and you look at what the money you have. And so we want to, one of the things that we want to do is we want to put that food into those communities. Um, and one of the things that we want to do is we have a goal in the next five years. We, we have found some vacant marginalized property in Baltimore city and we want to build livestock farms on, but we don't want to build a lot. Like, I don't want to come in and be like, Hey, this is really cheap property. I'm going to come and make good. I want to go in. I want to build a farm on the property. I want to bring the community into that. I want to teach the community how to farm that property, how to raise livestock. Yeah. People, you know, there's, there's a lot of gardens. They're doing a lot of, uh, vegetable gardening. I'm sure people will argue with me. I'm a livestock farmer. You can't sustain life on just vegetables. There's a vegan out there that's like <laughs> losing their mind in a car right now. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah. But you know, if we can, there's a lot of, as you had brought up earlier, there's a lot of, um, bureaucratic hurdles we have to get over. Yeah. Um, so if there's anybody from the city council that wants to give me a call, give me a call. We can talk about this, but, uh, you know, we, we can put this food into the hands of the people that need it. Um, and I think we can do it at scale. I think we can do it, um, at a price that is achievable. Uh, obviously I can't, I can't expect anyone who's, you know, unemployed on food stamps to buy a five ninety nine chicken. It's not going to happen. I don't expect that. Right. But, we had a lot of people in this area that are living well above the poverty line mm-hmm. that, hey, if you buy a five ninety nine chicken, that allows me to produce more chickens and either donate those chickens. Um, one of the things we've done on our website is we have a donation package. You can actually purchase six birds and we will donate it and That's you amazing. get the tax write-off. So what we've done is we're like, hey, this is a partnership. You, as the consumer, you buy this package, you pay for the feed, the cost of the bird, you know, all the inputs, we take cover the labor and the processing. And when it's done, we donate it to, we have a couple groups that we're working with. Um, we donate the, the bird to them, and then we cut a receipt to the consumer for the tax purposes. So when we looked at this, we when we started this business, we were really... It took us a while. I mean, Quincy can tell you this. It yeah. took us a while to decide nonprofit versus profit. Um, and what it really came down to is a, it's a quote from Mike Rowe. He said it in one of his shows where he was talking about, you know, nonprofits are great. It's great to go into an inner city with a nonprofit and go, hey, we're here to help you. He goes, but how much better would it be to go in and show someone that a profitable, they can, they can run a profitable business um, and teach them how to run a profitable business to help them from wherever they are, whatever the situation is. It's kind of the model we took. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of, a lot of things we, we have in store for the future. A lot of really big ideas. Yeah. Um, sort of that teach a man a fish mentality. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and getting, you know, and I think, you know, when we talk about regenerative farming is we can take these marginalized piece of property in the city that aren't going to be used for anything else. Right. And we can, we can take the years of industrial, degradation and we can regenerate that just by putting animals on it bringing in some feed um you know and it's not going to be it's definitely not going to be an overnight thing but we would love to be able to do it here in baltimore and then we'd love to be able to take it to a lot of different places yeah you know and and really just produce this model throughout the country i mean i'm it definitely doesn't sound easy that's not what i mean but it sounds like it sounds like a no brainer. Like we have all these vacant lots in the city. We have all these, these row homes that are nothing but falling down whole entire blocks in some sections of the city. Why not? Why not do this? Like it doesn't, what are sort of the objections? Have you talked to anybody? Right. And we, we also, I mean, we also have a dwindling population in our city. Sure. So, I mean, there's long been a standing, there's been a long standing plan to reduce the housing Mm -hmm. 
the physical structure in the city because of it's too much for the population we currently have. So what else are we going to do with the with the right. vacant land? Yeah, just sit there, right? What yeah. objections are you? Well, so into? really, the, it's it's not as much objections. It's current law. Mm-hmm. Okay. So currently, you can't raise livestock within the city limits. Um, you can't commercially. So you can have. I, I think you can have like a one or two goats. You can have a couple chickens. You right. can't have any roosters. Um, and a lot of that, I think, comes from if you go online and you know you're a you're a policymaker and you go online and you type in you know livestock raising, well, you see these huge confinement. It looks terrible, yeah. And you go, well, we don't want that there. We don't want this manure. You go down to, I mean, look at any of the controversy in South Carolina where you have these huge farms and they're the hog farms and they're producing waste and the liquid waste is then being sprayed on fields and being sent into the air and there's lawsuits and all this. I can see why a policymaker goes, hey, we just don't want this. Mm -hmm. But regenerative farming is not like that. You know, the object is when, when you walk on our farm, the object is for you to go, wait a minute, you raise pigs here? Yeah. Wait a minute, I, I, don't, I don't smell the pigs. Well, you're not going to smell the pigs because we don't leave them in one area long enough for them to create the odor by having overwhelming amounts of manure. So leave them in an area, they go to the bathroom, they walk in it, pushes it down into the soil, they move to the next section. Within a couple of days, we're sprouting new growth on that, that piece of property, even in our woods. So we raise our, our pork a majority of the time in the woods. Um, it's a natural habitat for them. They get, uh, we have a, a bunch of oak trees, so they're getting all the acorns. They're, they're eating all the nuts. They're digging all the grubs. They're, they're just getting all this nutrients that they're getting. They also have access to, a, again, a non-GMO soy-free uh, feed mm-hmm. that allows them to grow out. It's not like we just throw them out there and go, hey, fend for yourself. We'll right. be back in a couple years. Um, <laughs> so, but we move them, and that's, that's the whole key to this is being able to, as long as we pay attention to how we're impacting the ground, we can move them without the odor. Wow. Um, and I, I can tell you when we raised our first set of hogs back in 2014, and we just threw them out like, Hey, go to town. Here's your feed. And I mean, they destroyed some of our pastures. You know, we learned that, Hey, you got to have fences that don't have 24 on center post because a hog will just push through no matter how much electric going through them. So, you know, we've adjusted our, our plan and, and in some of those times you would get, you know, they dig a wallow and you'd be like, wow, there's this big stinky hole right there. Well, then we learn, well, if we move them before they get to that point, they'll still dig holes. They'll still have wallows. They'll, they'll still be pigs. Um, and that's the, the really cool thing about it is we're allowing them to be pigs. Right. You know, we don't dock tails, <clears throat> excuse me. We don't dock tails. We don't, and, and docking tails came from the confinement world because, the pigs would get bored and they would start chewing on the tails of mm. the other pigs. Jeez. And what would happen is, you know, they're, I don't want to say they're predators, but they, they're meat eaters. And so you now get a injured pig that's bleeding and the other pigs would eat it. And so obviously it's kind of cuts on the bottom line when your pigs are eating your other pigs and it's really hard to sell to a customer like, hey, this <laughs> pig uh, ate his brother but everything's good yeah um extra porky yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so uh so you know we can eliminate a lot of those just by the process yeah Um, and when you think about it like if you think of industrial farming or, or large agricultural farming and and i have friends that do it and again i don't i don't knock any of it whatsoever they're still producing tons of food feeding the world it's awesome but you know, these are guys that they buy their seed, they put their seed in the ground, they use a big tractor to, to go and, and plant the seed. Then like they'll take from their dairy operation, they'll put all their manure in a, in a tractor and a, a manure spreader, and then they take it to the field and they do all this stuff while the cows, and I'm like, well, you have a cow that's designed to put the manure, like if you just leave it in the field, it'll put it in the field for you. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to do anything. So we can cut back on diesel inputs we can cut back on exhaust we can cut back on the methane we talk about methane in the farming world as this bad thing well if you've ever googled a feedlot or you've ever driven down a highway in the midwest there are feedlots where they put it's it's the same concept with uh cows and chickens in a house except for this is just steers on a on a big paddock and you'll see mounds and that mounds is the manure well that methane has to go somewhere 
if it's just sitting in a pile and not being absorbed down into the soil, that's when we get the methane release into the, into the atmosphere. Well, if I take it right from the source, right to the ground, I eliminate a lot of that yeah. pile, you know, all that stuff just goes right into the ground. So in the system, I can cut out some of the input and the labor that it takes to take it from farm A to farm B to spread it on a field. And if I'm grains a little different, you know, when we get in, when we start talking about like grass fed beef and grass fed lamb, it's really easy because, you know, they're designed, they were created to eat grass. Right. So now I don't have to go, there's no other feed input. It's like, I put you in this field, I move you to fresh feed. Like you do everything right here as opposed to, I cut down a bunch of corn, which your stomach is not really designed to, to process. And I put you on a big pad with hundreds or thousands of other animals and I feed you this corn. So you get fat and I get this nice marbled steak, which looks awesome, you know, and that's what we've, you know, you go to any outback or anything, I and mean, that's what you're used to. But we're looking at a very, uh, it's not a nutrient dense food. Right. You know, and so we're not, it's not healthy. Um, I want to back up a second. I have like 13 questions to ask. Um, so I want to back up to the economics of things. So you were talking about how, you know, the price per pound of like a chicken, for instance, obviously is way more expensive, well, not way more expensive, but more expensive. Mm -hmm. What I think is interesting, um, especially during COVID, I think everybody has now become so obsessed with like buying local stuff and things like that. But I just want to go like, I, knowing you for a while now, I know that you don't do anything for the purpose of becoming rich, right? Mm -hmm. So the economics, however, of, I, I guess the question is, don't you think that the food you're producing in this style now is essentially how food will, do you think that the current commercial farming model is sustainable 20, 30, 50 years out? No. And don't you, I mean, don't you kind of see that like the inroads of, of the bigger companies buying out these smaller companies like we talked a couple yeah. weeks ago? I mean, don't you kind of see like the writing on the wall is like, it seems expensive now, but like, like I'm not bragging, but like I've been buying food like this forever, I feel like. So to me, I'm like, this is just how much food should cost. Right. Like, you know, we use these words expensive, cheap, you know, but I'm like, but this is how much food should cost. Because like you said, there's all these hidden costs that you don't see, but I don't know. I like, I don't just, I don't think it's sustainable. The no, commercial it, model, I don't think it's sustainable. I, I don't think the yeah. commercial model is sustainable. Right. I think there's a couple things at play. One, as we saw with COVID and the, the um, processing plants, mm -hmm. like when you shut down a processing plant right. that is responsible for processing 30% of all the pork in the country for two weeks, like, what do you do? I, I met with our butcher this uh, actually last week and you know they're booked two weeks out or right. two years out because of COVID. Like, and that's one of the problems we have. We, we, it's difficult to get into the processing world. Um, as we were talking about, one of the, the barriers is where is this processing taking place? But between that, between the agricultural inputs, at some point in time, uh, and I'm sure there's a scientist that will argue with me somewhere, but at some point in time, we are going to modify ourselves out of the food that we are creating because we, we, can, we are constantly, there's, new bacteria, there's new diseases that are coming up that we're modifying, or there's new weeds that we, we're already seeing weeds that are resistant to glyphosate, mm -hmm. um, which is essentially Roundup. Like we're seeing weeds that are resistant to that. So the next thing is we now we have to create another chemical, which will take care of those. Um, and eventually we're going to just, we're going to science, science our way out of um, sustainable food. Yeah, I hate when like, you know, you talk to people who aren't into food and they're like, oh, eventually food would just be, you know, in pellets or something. I'm like, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that sounds great. Like, yeah. There's still you, an man. enjoyable concept. Uh, like, it, yeah, yeah, like, you know. And then the other thing too is like, I think people, I think people need to take a lot more pride in buying, like knowing where anything, like anything you buy, people need to take a lot more pride in just like knowing where it comes from or being able to like have a conversation or reach out and shake the hand of the person they're buying it from or that's made it or produced it um i, I just don't like people just don't care about that enough anymore you uh, know i i saw a, it was a post somewhere and i'm not a, exactly sure who to attribute it to but they were like you know your doctor mm -hmm. you know your pharmacist but you don't know your farmer right and you know anyone's welcome to come to our farm anytime right. Um, you know, I can't guarantee that it'll be the cleanest place or that you're going to walk in and go, wow, this is the nicest place in the right. world. You know, it's, it's a working farm. Right. There's stuff moving around all the time. 
I got five kids. I mean, who knows? They could be destroying the place while I'm sitting here. Right. That is what it is. But, uh, you know, I, I do believe that it is important um, to know your farmer. I mean, you know me. I'm not exactly a extrovert. Like, I, I no. I'm kind I'm of shocked to even have you here right now. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I feel important. Like, to me, I have a passion in this, and it's it's important for me to be able to get this out of, out to people that, you know, that is something we need, we need. And, and a farmer, you know, it's there, there's a lot of people that look at a farmer and they're like, Oh, you know, that's the, the backwoods guy that, you know, drives the pickup truck and, you know, yeah, there's a lot of science that goes into it. And do drive a pickup truck. I do drive. A pickup right. truck. We commented and as I, he drove in the park. It's very large. It's a pickup big truck. Yeah. 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 I know I had to drive around cause you know, you only have one way in and one way out in this parking lot. Going back to like knowing knowing your farmer and knowing where things come from, so my my wife and I and I can't think of the name of the farm. She found it. We order, I think it's once a quarter. We get some from a local farm, some pork, some two chickens, some local beef. Mm-hmm. We we wanted to to support local, right? Obviously, I'm learning about you now. I didn't know yeah, any of this, no, which it's is okay. fascinating. It's okay. So now we're gonna talk to you after. <laughs> Do you have anything like that? Like, can we get on a quarterly delivery? Can anybody get on a quarterly delivery? And and I, I screwed that word up huge. Delivery. Delivery? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And order stuff and, and have it picked up or delivered? In the future, yes. Mm-hmm. Right now. So, again, we started in January. Yeah. Um, we uh, did a lot of research into the, the farm businesses before we started. Um, obviously, being a cop you don't have to really know marketing very well it's like you just show up you deal with the problem you go away everybody's happy or maybe not but uh um in in looking at the marketing one of the things that we that i discovered i i think maybe i've discovered is the the branding part so we've really put a lot of emphasis into our branding in the beginning um you know i i went back and forth like do we launch the business before we have product and I'm like, I, it was really hard for me to decide what to do. And so we chose that we'd launch in January and you can pre-order holes and halves of the hogs. You can pre-order chickens. Um, but right now, like I, I don't have, we will get our first set of broilers in the middle of March. Okay. Um, and then they'll be processed in June. So in June will be the first time that I can actually go like, Hey, here's a chicken. Yeah. You know, have a chicken. You can, um, so we're, our goal is yes to have um, a pork and a chicken. Um, some people call it CSA, community supported agriculture, or a subscription. Uh, I think it's all the, the way you word it. Right. Um, but yes, in the future we will have that product, um, and some things will be different. Whether it'll be um, you know in the summertime, one of the things we're looking at doing is is a good amount of uh, like sausage, just because we've you know go out on the boat or you you hang out at parties like so i know that our our products will change based off of the season um but yes that is one of the things in our future we just don't have it yeah I, that's i awesome. don't have anything to give you so i can't or sell so you, you can't so, yell at me yeah, yeah. That's a, but it is something that we consciously try to do but again i think it goes back to what we initially started we're luckily in a financial position to be able to do that to where we can almost that pay it forward, right? Like yeah. help support a local farmer who helps support people who can't, who aren't as fortunate to be in the position that we are. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's definitely one of the things that we enjoy. And it just tastes better too. Like I know you oh, from your chef, like it tastes a hundred percent, a hundred percent better. I literally like, I, I mean like just to be blunt, I shit on people. Like, I mean, you, I have like, no problem. You I will can't stop that sentence and <laughs> If when they like, what's if, if somebody, this is why people don't invite me over to their house for dinner. I show up and I go, what is this? Where's it from? That's yeah. disgusting. I'm not eating it. Yeah. Like just, that's it. Giant, it, yeah. I'm not going to eat it. Do you believe him that that's the only reason people don't invite him over for dinner? No, no. Okay, just throwing it I'm sure there. it has a lot to do with it, but yeah, it's not the only reason. It's just overall personality. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. I'm a delight. You are. Anyway. You're um, a delicacy. You're like a fine wine. Okay, that just got weird. There's so many things I want to say that cannot be said with Why? this microphone dangling like you, in front of my mouth. You say that every podcaster. Like, I want to say something, yeah. but I can't. <laughs> anyway. Back to the real world. Back to serious. Um, I want to go back. So you you were talking about this plan you have to use vacant lots in the city mm-hmm. to kind of further the farm operation. I want to ask this. Is there a plan, or if there's not a plan, just in general, how do you... Because, again, like farming is not something you see people 
just being like, oh, I'm going to be a farmer. You don't even hear kids growing up being like, maybe your kids do, but most kids don't. So, like, do you think that reaching out to the city or let's just call it urban areas in general, do you think that you can use that to sort of, like, help motivate new generations of kids to – because I think the other danger with the food chain is we're going to run out of producers. Oh, absolutely. You know? So the statistics show that most uh, – I think it's something like 80% of all farmers are 60 years and older. Oh, yeah. And the reason is is our tax base is designed that if as – a, as a landowner, family farmer, if you don't – plan ahead to essentially give away all your business and your property mm-hmm. before you reach a certain age, then the tax base is the point where you, or the tax um, cost is so prohibitive mm-hmm. that your kids can't take over the farm. Um, and then we get a lot of k- kids that don't want to come back to the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are running into that issue. I think, I mean, really as corny as it sounds, it's making farming cool. Like, right. I mean, there's just something cool about, you know, going out in the freezing cold to check on the chickens to make sure that, you know, the brooder's the right temperature. I mean, we, I, I would be completely honest. We, so we bought it in February because in order to get our laying chickens up to the t- point we wanted them in June to be producing eggs, we had to get them extra early this year. Generally, we wouldn't bring chicks onto the farm in this cold weather, but we brought them in in February. It is what we, it is. Um, as you know, you guys came over and tried to help me with the one brooder. Is that we were building a brooder? Yeah. You yeah. guys worked for five hours and three quarters of a brooder that I built the same one in two hours by myself. But that's part of that. Uh, we, we had this guy helping us, a guy named Ben. Great guy. Um, there were two Bens, big Ben and medium Ben. And, um, medium Ben can't read numbers or do math very well <laughs> yeah. or cut a straight line. Sure. Well, the straight line. Yeah. And so we had... Big Ben, who's probably the most skilled amateur carpenter, he would measure because that was the most important job. Right. And you should be able to cut a piece of ply. We would give it to medium Ben, three inches short, and just, I don't know what he would do. <laughs> Every single cut. I don't, you probably had to rebuy all ply. I mean, we wasted so much ply. I don't know. I, I had to go do electrical work so that you guys could. <laughs> I noticed, I noticed you were like, I'm going to do this solitary job while yeah. you idiots do this yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. The job that'll burn the place down if you get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we brought we brought uh, 113 chicks on the farm, and we expect about 10% mortality. Right, with everything. It's just the yeah. way it is. Um, and in a three day period, we lost 32 of them. Yeah. Um, and really, when we've looked back at it and analyzed it, it was a brooder management problem. Right. Where when we brought them back, these the best we can surmise is these birds got on the outside of. So we use heat lamps in the brooder, um, and they were just on the outside, but because they were cold, they didn't eat, they didn't progress. Um, and so they just, they failed to thrive mm. and they died. And I mean, it's take all the monetary value out of it. Like you bring this animal into your farm you're like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you onto my farm. I'm going to take care of you. Even if it is to kill you later down the line right. and make, you know, make you a delicious meal. Like I'm bringing you on the farm. Like I have a, a duty to take care of them. And these things were dying. I mean, we, we had like, six and you wake up and the next morning there's 12 and you're like, what the heck did I do wrong? And trying to figure this out. So, you know, we deal with a lot of those issues, um, as farmers. And the one thing that's really cool about, about it as well is like trying to figure that out. It's not, farming is not this, uh, I go out in the field, um, and I I get on a tractor, I drive around in circles and like, you have, there's so much more that goes into it. There's so much of your brain that you have to Mm -hmm. use. It's very creative. It's a very hands-on job. I mean, I became a cop probably because I couldn't physically sit in one place for more than, you know, 10 minutes at a time. No, that's so, a firefighter. Huh? That's a firefighter. Oh, no, they're great at sitting for long that's periods of time. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to sit in one place, you become a firefighter. Yeah, so yeah. I hear. I, I don't know. Yeah. But that's what I heard. Sleep at night. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now had I scored like five points higher on the test, I probably could have been a firefighter. But yeah. See, that's instead. not fair. You're taking my only ammo. And here yeah. we go. Yeah. Right. I had to. I had to take it. See, that? that's some bullshit. So I had yep. a plan this entire time yeah. just to instigate a fight. Uh, between no these, between you two, yeah. no I'm fight. not fighting anybody. We'll just zoom well, in on that my helmet up there, and he'll just be cut out of the entire podcast. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we love and respect our police brethren in the fire department. <laughs> We're all the same. It's yeah. it's we all get shit you, on. It doesn't matter. As someone once said, you know, all young cops or how's it go? All young firemen want to be cops, and all old cops want to be firemen. If they would pay me to sleep at night, I'd be like, 
Absolutely. <laughs> what a backhanded compliment. <laughs> when I get old and tired after working my entire life. If yeah, I could get paid to, to go to work and sleep in a cot, I would do that all day long. Listen, I can't even argue with you. Like The city's one thing, right? Yeah. But my first day at the fire academy, they give you a pillowcase and sheets. Hmm? How, job, how bad too? can the job be? Like, well, there's a point we can make that it was... Pre- anyway, uh, yeah, back to you. So... You started, so I want to ask some business questions. Mm-hmm. So what is harder, the actual farming, like the manual labor? Because I know you, you are, you love manual labor, seemingly, yeah. or the business side of it? The business side. I figured that. Hands down. Talk to us about that. So it's, I mean, whether it's planning out um, your growing season. Mm-hmm. So like I started, and before we even launched the business in November, December, I'm looking at, okay, well, if I... If it takes 11 weeks to grow out a chicken, then I got to get the chicken. You know, I want I want to process it on this day. I got to have the chicken by this day, which means I have to order it by this day and just back scheduling everything. And I mean, I've done some planning oh, of some fairly Can large. I interject for a second? Yeah. I would go over to his, Jay's garage. Like, you know, we just go, especially like during COVID, it was a good outdoor place. Yeah. It was somewhat warm. You know, we could go have a drink, drink and... uh You'd walk in and they're just, you know, we have whiteboards, whiteboards everywhere just, with like indiscernible writing. You're like, cool. like, <laughs> is he, is about? he doing like some hardcore math or is he playing a business? And I'm like, wow, this is yeah. really trying to figure some stuff out here. <laughs> He's working through some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the business side of it. Uh, cash flow. I mean, again, all these things that I'm really learning for mm-hmm. the first time. Uh, and, you know, cash flow is a huge thing. Like how, and how do you, Know, as a starting farmer so you've got two choices you take out a huge loan right and you cross your fingers and hope that everything goes well and you can pay everything off and if it doesn't then you've you know usually used your house and your property is that mm-hmm. and then so then me and my five my wife and five kids are sitting out on the street corner um, because of bad decisions or do you try and cash flow it yourself i mean i have one leg up on most people entering the the farming world is I still have a paying job. Right. So, you know, um, now I would love for this to take that over and do this full time, but right now I do it both full time. Right. Um, so whether it's the, the, the cash flow side, the planning side, marketing, um, I mean, thank the Lord for my wife. She helped me design the, the logo. And, you know, I, I had this idea for a logo and I'm like, Hey, I need a logo. And she's like, Oh, well, you know, we have to have a color scheme and all these things that are way outside right. of my realm of knowledge. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you just don't like, like, this is what I want it to look right. like. I can do it on word. Everything will be fine. And she's like, yeah. word. She's like, no, nah, we don't do that. Yeah, I know. It's a little old school. Uh, <laughs> Good. Then chime in. No, uh, you want to yeah. say something. Your face is so red that you want to say something. Red. Tell me, red. It's a color that people of your complexion get. (laughs) Yeah. So back to the business side. (laughs) Yeah. Do you find it like? Do you find it frustrating, or you find it exciting to learn all the business side stuff? A little both. Okay. So it's it's exciting. I, I mean, I love learning new things. I would much rather learn feed conversion for the hog than you know marketing schemes for this. But like you were you were talking, Mark, about like coming up with different ideas of how to give your product, you know, sell your product to the consumer is, you know, the easiest way is, Hey, come buy a whole hog from me. Right. And I only have to sell it once as opposed to, okay, I've got to now cut this hog into retail cuts and now I've got to store it. And then I've got to get it out to the customer. And do I do farmer's markets, which farmer's markets great, but a farmer's market is your whole day on Saturday, which then means I got to hire somebody to work on the farm when I'd rather like get people to actually come to the farm. And right. if you come to the farm, then yeah, there's just so many different facets of it that I, I, I kind of knew, but I didn't know, um, when I got into it. So learning that stuff, um, websites and, you know, point of sale stuff that again, thank goodness for, for Allie for jumping in and being right. like, Hey, you know, there's this neat thing. It plugs into your phone. You can take credit card. I'm like, huh? huh? What? Oh, we should get one of those. That's pretty cool. Uh, you know, she did, she did all our website stuff and, um, you know, so trying to, you know, and then, so you get the business side of it, you got the growing side of it, which is obviously going out and moving them and, feeders and different stuff like that. And one of the things that I'm finding here, especially in Maryland is 
we are such a production agriculture centered location that like the equipment I need, like, so my hog water, for example, I've got to go all the way to Reading, Pennsylvania to get it. When you, you mean that like the water, the hogs drink? No, no, no. Oh. The, the actual implement they drink out of. Oh, 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 so okay. we don't just use buckets. Gotcha. Like we have an actual, it's an 80 gallon water. Well, the cl- it's, it's either Reading or Winchester, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Like I can't go, there's no place. I can't even go to Westminster and pick it up. Like they just don't sell the, hmm. the product we're looking for. And a lot of that is because everything is centered towards, oh, put this in your barn. Well, I don't need one that goes in a barn. I need right. one that's going to last outside right. with the hogs bouncing up against it. Um, so those, those type of things. And then just life in general. Nice. So, how do you find time to do this? That's what I was going to mm-hmm. ask. How do you find, yeah, how <laughs> like, do you find time? Like, what's the plan to incorporate the kids? Is there well, a plan? I don't know. Maybe yeah, I mean, actually, it's, right. I mean, it's one of the reasons that I – I like in like farming as an idea is that, you know, obviously now I can't take my kids to work with me. Like right. There's no like, Hey, come hang out with dad. No ride along day. program. Yeah. No ride along yeah. program for an eight year old. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. But, um, you know, being at home, being on the farm, um, getting them involved. Like I took them to pick up the, the chicks and, you know, it's kind of been nice with COVID and right. uh, distance learning. It's like, Hey, yeah. grab your computer. Or yeah. don't take your computer and right. we'll tell mom you did. And just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do want to involve the kids, but it, it is, it's very hard. Yeah, like, sure. You know, and then there's the, the other sides of it, like right, you know, eight years ago, farming was kind of an outlet. Well, now farming mm-hmm. is becoming the business. So, mm-hmm. you know, Interesting, yeah. so fishing and being on right. the water is the outlet. Right. Well, things still need to be fed before right. you can go out on the water. And how does that fall into it and then you know as we've talked being able to get the people that we work with in uh, in the farming industry whether it's you know someone with a disability that's working on the farm but then getting them into some other outlets like right. getting them onto the boats and getting them out on the water and incorporating all that in together and you know i mean you can always sleep when you're dead right yeah i used to say that all the time until i yeah got to my late 30s yeah um, so take us through a typical day. Like, let's assume you don't have to go be a police officer this current day. Take us yeah. to a typical farm day. Oh, so right now it's pretty easy because we only have one set of animals on the farm. That so was not the answer I was well, before. <laughs> so anybody, that. any aspiring farmers, you heard it from Jason Huggins. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I said right now it's easy. So it's get up. First thing we do is we check the brooder because mm-hmm. that's where the chicks are right now. So, Go out, make sure the brooder temperature's good, give them more uh, bedding. We usually spend, it's usually about 15, 20 minutes at the brooder. It's getting pretty efficient. Um, what time do you start to, your day? That all depends. Yeah. You know, if I work till 2 a.m. the morning before, it might right. be 8 or 9 o'clock. Right, yeah. Uh, if, I had, if I had a schedule that I could work with that was always my schedule, it wasn't on call. You know, right. I've been on call since 2013, so... Um, if I wasn't on call, it would be a lot easier. It would be a 6 a.m. start. Okay. Um, you know, what, one of the things we're finding with our laying hens is we have one that really likes to lay uh, her egg probably around 6.30 in the morning. So if you go out there at 6.45, it's already on the ground. And so you've got to get in there before 6.30 to lower. So that on the, the boxes that we have that we allow them to lay their eggs in, um, we use a, a metal box and a nesting box. They go in and... It actually has a rollaway tray. So when they lay the egg, the egg actually rolls into an enclosed box that mm. keeps it clean. Um, again, to meet some regulations, we have to ensure that they're clean. We can't use eggs off the ground, et cetera. Hmm. Uh, so we use these nesting boxes. Well, it has a, a roost on it, and we close the roost at night to ensure that the birds don't get used to sleeping in there. Because if they sleep in there, then they crap in there, and it just becomes a big yeah. mess. So we have to get out first thing in the morning and drop the roost bar so the chicken can get in, lay the egg because they lay the egg on the ground. We can eat it. Right. We can't sell it. So that's usually part of, so we usually do the brooder first and then, um, Carter and George have been really good about going out and doing the eggs. It's kind of told Carter, like the eggs can kind of be her thing, get her involved in it. Um, which is fine. Now we have 17. They're just starting to lay because of winter time. So, she goes out in the evening, she gets her nine or 10 eggs and comes back when we're running a hundred eggs, 
a day. Sure, she yeah. might she might not be quite <laughs> right. as enthused right. about yes. uh, <laughs> the work, but productivity but right might, now might be not yeah, what you want. Right now yeah. it seems to work pretty good. Yeah. Um, but when we get into full swing, right? Uh, so we will generally always have one batch of birds in the brooder. Okay. We will always have one batch of birds in the pasture. So we're talking usually about 80 birds in the brooder, 80 birds in the pasture. Um, after July, we'll have uh, probably 60 turkeys as well as our 80 birds in the pasture. The turkeys take a lot longer to, right. to run out. So, um, And then we'll have for this, this season, we'll have six hogs as well. So it's brooder first. Then from the brooder, we'll move water feed the chickens, move water feed the turkeys. Um, the pigs are usually pretty good in the back because we can leave them. They, they don't move every day. It's usually on our ground. It's about every seven days that we need to move them. So, um, that cuts down a little bit of the time, but when we have to move them, we have to move the water. So it's drain the water, use the tractor, move the water over to the next paddock. Um, and then move the feeder over, move the hogs over. Um, sometimes depending on how things are, again, we, we grow them in the woods, um, but we've thinned out a lot of the woods. Okay. So we're kind of, we're working on a silva pasture where we're getting tree cover slash, uh, undergrowth of grasses and everything. So what we're hoping to do, um, is get those grasses to grow up a little bit more. So sometimes what we'll do is like the day before we move them, we'll come in and broadcast seed down hmm. and allow the pigs to walk on it, push it down into the ground which then leaves me, I don't have to go out and rake it and other gotcha. things. Then we can move on. So it all depends on where we are in that, looking at the pasture, deciding, okay, well, today we need to move the birds twice a day. Which, so the, the days are very fluid. There's no... There's there's just, a, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, there's a general process behind right. it, but yeah, very fluid. Interesting. Uh, um, so you have, obviously, like you have the farm operation, which is mm -hmm. intense in itself, but then you also have this very like mission-centric side of the whole operation. What is like if you could pick one goal, what's like the one goal you would hope to accomplish through all this? We can edit out whatever policy you need to think about. Yeah. The that. yeah. Um, I mean, I think the one goal is to provide nutrient dense, healthy food to the underserved communities in Baltimore. Okay. To start. Nice. And then be able to take this, build this model to the point where we can take it other places. Nice. Um, so when we really thought about the nonprofit at the beginning, one of our, our goals and, um, was we were going to be a farm partnership where we moved that, you know, we were partnering with farms up and down the East Coast or wherever it was in the country to say, okay, you know, you're part of this farm partnership. You're going to work your farm the same way. You're going to raise your animals. You're going to hire the same people, et cetera. We're kind of taking that model, except for instead of using other people's farms, we're looking at saying, Hey, let's do this here and let's go establish a farm somewhere else. Right. And that's probably a lot of my trust issues coming into it sure. where I just don't trust anybody else to do it the way that I'm going to do it. So if I just go do it myself, we right. can, uh, we can move on, but I would love in 10 years to have, you know, people running the farm here and moving on to another place to, nice. to start establish another farm and, um, go from there. Nice. Is there anybody that you, need to talk to in order to get like who i guess we started talking about the the issues with especially baltimore city getting into right. baltimore city and doing this who do you who do you need like let's let's I, shout them out let's try to get a I, meeting right i, why do, not? I don't know we're, who we're just going to tag the mayor we'll tag all the yeah. why not i don't really know right. I, I mean essentially i need to change existing law right so one i need to get access that the property that the one property that we would like and again because we're livestock farming mm -hmm. i can't take a a row home property and go, Hey, I'm going to throw 10 chickens on here. It's, right. it's not efficient. Now I've, we found a 50 acre piece of property down near Cherry Hill, um, that is owned by the city. So it'd first be, how do we get access through a long-term lease with the city for that property? And then second would be, so that would be the first hurdle. The second hurdle would be, how do we get the, either an exemption or the current policy changed so that we can raise livestock mm. in the city. They're the first two big hurdles we have yeah. to get over. We can't really even plan on anything else until we get the hurdles. And then, you know, a 50 acre piece of property with the infrastructure and stuff we need, then, then, you know, then we're looking at some, some serious financial input to get in there. 
Um, I think we're probably a couple years down the road from that, but, uh, you know, you know, and I know from working in government that, you know, if I don't start it now, it'll be 30 years before, you know, and 15 administrations before we get anything (laughs) changed. So, um, you know, it's one of those things and that's, it's another part of the business side of it is keeping that big picture and realizing like, this is where we need to get to but still being able to focus on all those little things up to it. Cause right. it could be really easy to go, Oh yeah, we're going to work on this. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if I work really good and I get everything established to do this, but I haven't sold anything or I haven't produced a good product between now and then, then it doesn't really do me any good yeah, to be like, no credit, credit Hey, this is good. great. I got this farm. It's established and I can't, I don't know how to grow right. anything. Or I can't <laughs> grow anything on it. So, um, yeah, I don't. I don't really know the answer to that. Yeah, um, I'd love to. If there's someone down there that wants to start the dialogue, um, you know, I'm I'm more than willing to to talk on the phone and figure out where it goes from here. Um, you know, I'm not opposed to if the city wants to provide a grant to to start something, then we'll start it early. Yeah, right. you know, but uh, well, I mean, listen, there's we're putting it out. There's this platform here, so we'll, we'll see yeah. who who sees this and and what we can do. And I think mm-hmm. it, it's needed. Yeah. I don't think anybody can argue that what you're trying to do is needed, especially in, in Baltimore City. So Yeah. Definitely. So, right. awesome. cool. cool. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, man. And we'll put all yeah. the all the contact information on the site or on, on the post. Yeah. You, yeah. Right? yeah. Uh-huh. Cool man. Thanks for coming down. Cool. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Best of luck. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. All right, man. See you. See ya. Hey everyone. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Fucking Mike Tyson. All right. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Make sure you follow us on social media. Check us out on searchbemore.com and subscribe to the podcast. And all future content is available to you. Yes. If you subscribe. Perfect. Do it. Thank you. Good job. Bye.